Bible Church. Welcome back. This is part two of our three-part series on Micah chapter 6, verse 8, which says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And as we've said before, we want to encourage you to memorize this verse over this three-week series. So last week, Josh's main point was on doing what's right. This week, the main point is on loving mercy. I just adopted Josh's main sentence from last week and just filled in the words, love mercy. So it says this, we're called to love mercy according to who God is and who he's made us to be. I want to start off this morning by talking about the relationship between justice and mercy. You can't have one without the other. When justice is declared, when it's declared, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, this is truth, this is what is a lie, then you have a context for what is mercy and to, to give mercy a place to grow and to be activated in. Let me give you a couple of examples. About six weeks ago, Josh and I were on our way to a theology conference in Chicago. And I was driving, and I was driving my wife's car. And whenever I drive her car, I, I tend to be a little bit of a heavier foot. And so we were on State Road 6 on the west side of Bremen. And suddenly I, I look up, and there's a, a police car passing me. He flips on his lights. I look down at the speedometer. I'm going 68 miles an hour. I pull over. He whips around, comes walking up to the car. I roll down the window, and he says, hey, I just tagged you at 68 miles an hour. And then he asks, well, where are we going? And I said, we're going to Chicago. And he says, it's business. And I say, yes, it's business. Now, I could have said, well, we are two pastors going to a theology conference. We're going to hear theological lectures on substitutionary atonement, on hell, on classical theism. But I, I chose not to go with that line. But anyway, he established justice by pulling me over, by walking up, by saying, hey, you've broken the law. And then after we exchange a little talk, he goes back to his car. And now, as the police officer is sitting in his car, he has a context for mercy. He can look up my records. He can evaluate the situation based upon the attitude I displayed or the circumstances. Was it busy? Was it light traffic? And so, fortunately, I wouldn't be sharing this story otherwise. He walks back and says, hey, you know, I'm not even going to write you up a, a warning. Just drive a little slower and have a good week. And so in that case, the, the officer at his disposal decided to treat me with mercy. But first of all, he addressed justice. Second illustration I'll talk about, as a father, when I would come home and let's say one of my children has done something wrong. And so I might dish out a consequence. Well, I'll talk to my children and say, this is what you've done wrong, and so you're going to be off your phone for a week. You're going to be off all electronics for a week. And so based upon the response of my children, how they receive the justice 
after I've declared justice, say, what you did is wrong, and this is why it was wrong, then and only then do I have room to act out mercy, to, to love mercy. You know, when my kids were younger, and if you're a parent, maybe you can relate to this, I would, I would always have my children, like, well, you've got to go apologize to each other, or you've got to apologize to me or to your mother. And sometimes one of my children would go and they'd say, I'm sorry. And other times they would say, I'm sorry. And based upon what I thought of their apology, it gave me room to go heavier on justice, lighter on mercy, or heavier on mercy and lighter on justice. And so you cannot separate justice and mercy and as followers of Christ, we're always trying to find that right measure of when and how much justice and when and how much mercy. And all of us perhaps have a, a disposition toward one or the other, justice or mercy. And so right now, I'm going to have you evaluate yourself and see which way you fall, if you lean toward justice or mercy. And in general, I've found four different types of people. The first type of person is you are justice, justice. You are all about the rules, about I, I need to do exactly what's right, and I need to do it well, and I need to obey the rules, and you need to obey the rules too. No excuses for anybody. Justice, justice. That is the perfect world. Everyone does what is right, and everyone's held accountable for justice, justice. A second type of person is mercy, mercy. That, hey, Everyone is human. We all make mistakes. Lots of mercy for you. You're allowed to be human. Lots of mercy for me. If a mercy, mercy person is, is put in charge of a game or an athletic contest, there's no score kept. Everybody wins. We don't want anyone to feel bad. Just everyone wins. Everyone gets an A. A third type of person is justice for you, mercy for me. No excuses for you. You, you broke the law, you did what is wrong, and you need to be held accountable for it. And your, your excuses are no good. But mercy for me, because, uh, I mean, my excuses are real excuses. My excuses are legitimate, understandable. I want understanding, but no understanding for you. And the fourth type of person is mercy for you, justice for me. Don't you feel bad. It's not your fault. It's all my fault. I'll take responsibility for my mistakes and your mistakes. I just want you to feel good about yourself, and I'll take all the blame. Justice for you, mercy for me. Mercy for you, justice for me is what I meant. Now, let's have a little fun with this. If you're, whether you're sitting by yourself or you're sitting with a group of people, I want you to self-identify right now and just say, I'm mercy, mercy, or I'm justice, mercy, or whatever one you choose. And now, to make it even a little more enjoyable, if you're with somebody, you can point to the people that you're with. Just point at them and say, you are Mr. Justice, or you are Mr. Mercy, or you are Miss uh, Justice Mercy. If you're by yourself you, and you know someone else in the church who's watching this, you can pick up your phone and text them right now and just say, Hey, how you doing today, uh, Miss Justice or, or Miss Mercy? But just be careful with the, the justice people because they can be a little thin-skinned. Who, me? 
How dare you accuse me of being all about justice? Just, uh, you might need to be sensitive with the justice people. As followers of Christ, we, we want to, to look at ourselves and say, what is my disposition? Because like Christ, we want to we tr- find that right balance of, of justice and mercy as we walk in our relationships. We are called to love mercy. I want to come back to Micah 6, 8, if you want to bring that up. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy. What does it mean to love mercy? The word here in, in mercy, as it's translated in Micah 6, 8, that Hebrew word is, is, is very diverse, and it carries the connotation of, of loyalty, of kindness, uh, of steadfast love, of unwavering compassion, of, of a choosing of mercy. In fact, it's used 248 times in the Old Testament. To love mercy is to love the ideal of forgiveness. Mercy is not a matter of weakness. Mercy is a matter of choosing to withhold punishment when you rightly could punish. To love mercy is to love forgiveness. To love mercy is to embrace unwavering fidelity. The cross of Jesus Christ perfectly embraces both justice and mercy. No religion on the face of the earth has anything remotely like the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus fully, 100%, embraces justice. It is the symbol of perfect justice. No crime goes unpunished. No sin goes unaccounted for. Everything is put on the cross. Every sin is paid for. So every person puts their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, or that sin is paid for when they stand before the Lord one day after death. The cross represents perfect, complete justice for all the sins of every individual. The cross of Jesus also represents perfect, 100% mercy, in that we, we, we hold fast to it for justice, and we hold fast to it for mercy, that in the cross we find forgiveness. We find, we say, Lord, take Take your cross, your blood shed on the cross for my sins. We put our hand on the cross, so to speak, and we find mercy. It is the ultimate, the ultimate symbol of both justice and mercy. And we are people of the cross. It's our standard. It's what we cling to ourselves. So let's talk about what it it looks like on a more day-to-day basis. Loving mercy is not pretending that nothing is wrong and everything is okay. Let's say you're, you're mad at, at a person, and, well, I'm, I'm really mad at this person, but when this certain person comes and says, hey, are we okay? And you say, we're fine. I'm going to love mercy and choose not to tell them how upset I am with them. That is not loving mercy. That's simply pretending that everything is okay. Loving mercy says, hey, I'm I'm upset about what you did. I'm upset about what you said. Can we talk about that? Maybe loving mercy means first listening to them rather than jumping to conclusions. But loving mercy is, is first of all saying, here's the truth. Here's honestly how I feel about what you said or did. 
and then gauged upon you declare justice, you do what is right, and then based on their response, you know how you are to love mercy, how you are to forgive them, how you are to perhaps understand them, how you are to keep loving them, even if they, well, I don't feel sorry about what I said or did to you. But first, it's justice, and then it reveals how you are to live out mercy. Loving mercy is never ignoring a sin, ignoring an injustice, ignoring a wrong. Now, with this coronavirus, we're all, many of us are in close quarters, and there's more opportunity. We were just laughing last night at the family table about how when school was going and all the sports and all the activities in the youth group, we almost never had family dinner. Now we're having family dinner every night, and it's good, but we're all so close. And there, when this coronavirus, where we're all at home, there's a lot more opportunity for impatience, for getting in each other's way, for who, what are we going to watch? I want to watch this, or I want to watch that. And there's opportunity there to love mercy, to bend, to say, well, I'd really like to watch this show, but you know, I'm going to love mercy in your case, and, and maybe tonight we'll watch what you want to watch, and tomorrow night what I want to watch. Let's think about some other situations. Let's talk about work. You're on the line, and you see something, uh, a unit where something's done incorrectly, and at the end of the day, you have to go out to the yard because a coworker failed to do what is right. And loving mercy is not like, well, you know, I don't even want to bring it up. But loving mercy is talking to your coworker and say, why did you let that unit roll up the line without fixing that problem? You knew we were going to have to stay after late and go out to the yard to fix it afterwards. And then based upon your coworker's response, then you know how to apply loving mercy. Let's say you're in the office and you hear someone say, hey, we can have that product to you by next Monday to get the customer to sign on to the deal. Then you get off the phone. Loving mercy is not pretending like, well, that's going to really hurt us as a company because we can't even be done with that product until it's Friday. Well, I'm just going to love mercy and you know, we'll see if we keep that contract or not. Loving mercy is first doing what is right and say, hey, why did you promise that customer that we'd have it, the product done by Monday when you know we're not even going to be done with it till the end of the week? And then based on your coworker's response, you know then how to show mercy, to love mercy. Love mercy never means avoiding a hard conversation. Loving mercy never means ignoring sin or injustice. Acting justly is always being honest and declaring truth and justice and then following up with loving mercy. In every situation, we're asking God, show me, Lord, how to apply justice and how to apply mercy, to apply both. We're called to love mercy according to who God is. Why are we to be merciful people? It has to do with the character of our Lord, who is a merciful God. He says this in, let's go to Psalm 103 now. It says this in Psalm 103, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. 
And that word abounding here, it means overflowing. It means limitless, beyond count, beyond number. So the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and overflowing in mercy. That's who He is, and that's who we desire to be. It says in the same chapter, in verse 14, it says, For He, the Lord, knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Basically, this verse says, the Lord knows that you and I are made of dust. He knows that we're marred and corrupted by sin. He knows that we're frail. He knows that we're emotional. He knows that we can never be perfect. It's saying that He understands us and He's full of mercy for us. He knows that we're made of dust. A story that to me illustrates God's mercy, a story that I love, it's from the New Testament in the book of Mark, chapter 10. It's Jesus walking along the road. He's encountering many crowds. And people are hearing about his power to heal and his power, his mercifulness. It says this in in Mark chapter 10. And they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, it it says his name because God cares about individuals. And he cares about you. He says, a blind man, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now that right there is a great one-line prayer for you to use many times. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Bartimaeus teaches you and me to never stop asking for mercy. That it's never, no matter what people say to us, never stop asking for mercy. It goes on, it says this, And Jesus stopped. And the point here is that Jesus, the Son of God, will always stop for mercy. Jesus always has time to be merciful. Jesus is always full of compassion. Whenever you and I are ready for mercy, He's already there. He's already there for mercy. And Jesus stopped and said, call Him. And and so the, the, the one moment the disciples in the crowd are saying, just shut up, just be quiet, stop bothering Him, He's not interested. The next moment they're saying, hey, he's calling you. Take heart, get up. Jesus is calling you. In verse 50, and throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And this is the right heart, the right attitude. The man springs up, he wastes no time, and comes running to Jesus for mercy. God is merciful. He is full of mercy and compassion. Whenever you are ready for mercy, he is already there waiting. He will always respond to mercy. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, no matter how many times you've failed, he is always ready for mercy. Now, this is never an excuse for to say, well, it doesn't matter what I do. I mean, Jesus will be merciful and forgive me. That's not right. That's not what we do. But it is true that as often as we fail, We always run back to His mercy. We never stop. We never stop going back to Him for mercy. 
His mercy is our proper approach. That's how we come to God. Titus 3.5 says this. It says, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. No one becomes a follower of Christ based on their good works. If you're trying to earn your way to God, earn your way to salvation, earn your way to heaven, you cannot do that. That's not the basis of your salvation. The only way that you enter heaven, the only way that you receive eternal life, the only way that you receive forgiveness of your sins is because He is merciful. Again, look at this verse. It says, He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done. No matter how many good things you do, if you got 99 out of 100 good things, you still fall short of the glory of God. But because of, say it out loud in your home, but because of His mercy. That's the only reason that you and I are saved from our sin, from death, from hell. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit, all because of His mercy. So you are called to receive, embrace His mercy, and you're called to give it away. And what does the Lord require of you but to act justly and to love mercy? Lastly, I want to talk about, I want to come back to our line that we are called to love mercy according to who God is and who He has made us to be. Because mercy is who He is and merciful is who He's made you to be through His Holy Spirit. So lastly, I want to talk about how do we grow in our capacity to love mercy? How do you become a, a more merciful person? Especially perhaps if you're one of the, a justice-justice person. How do you bend more closely to mercy? I think one of the, the, the main thing is never losing sight of the fact that you are a recipient of God's mercy. That you are the receiver of overflowing, limitless mercy. To never lose sight of that fact. That even if you consider other people's sin to be huge, and, and maybe your sin doesn't appear very, very large, but even your own, your own sin, that that was worthy of death and condemnation. And that God forgave you of your sins. And never losing touch with that. There's a story in Luke 18 that illustrates this. It says this, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious ruler, what we would say a pastor or a priest in that day in Jesus' time. And the other was a tax collector. So think of the worst person you can think of in our, in our society, in our community, and that would be a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this, this tax collector, this worst guy in our whole city. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, 
but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's go back to that first man. He played what's called the comparison game. The comparison game is when you look not at God, but you look around you at other people. Instead of looking up to God and looking at your sin, you look at other people and say, well, you know, I'm better than him. I'm just about as good as her. Uh, oh, she's, she's probably better than I am. But oh, those six guys there, I, I'm definitely better than them. We have to avoid the comparison game if we're going to be right with God. Playing the comparison game will never get you to be right with God. You will not have gratitude, nor joy, nor thankfulness to God by looking around at others and saying, well, I think I'm going to go to heaven because I'm better than that person. Or at least I'm not as bad off as that person. At least I'm not a sinner like she is. You will never have gratitude with an attitude like that. Try to avoid the comparison game. Because just like in that story, that man went home and he was not right with God. But let's take a look at the man who did go home right with God. The tax collector, he says, standing far off, he would not lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector didn't look around him at other people and say, well, I'm better than him, I'm, I'm not as good as her. But he looked just at God, and he looked at himself and said, God, just be merciful to me, a sinner. Forgive me of my sins. He wasn't worried about anyone else. He was just crying out to God, saying, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Have mercy on me. And he went home to his house, justified and right with God. He is our example. And he's the one always to emulate and just always staying in touch with your own need for mercy. Always being grateful that God showed you mercy. Whatever your sins were, that God once and for all forgave you and continues to forgive you and had mercy on you. That's the key to you being grateful. That's the key to you having joy and thankfulness in your heart to God. And that's the key for you being merciful to others never losing sight of the fact that you, once and for all, were lavished with mercy from God. Luke 6, verse 36 says this, Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Whenever possible, we are people who give mercy, who love mercy, who show mercy, who show mercy toward others. We love to forgive. We love to ask for forgiveness. In wrapping up today, I want you to think about a couple of different situations where you might practice loving mercy. Perhaps you already are loving mercy in many different situations. But two situations. Number one, in this coronavirus stay-at-home order, who is one person or one group of people that you can demonstrate special loving mercy toward. You know, there's a lot of people who are feeling the pinch and they're suddenly uh, cramped up with a lot of people. There's also those who are suddenly find themselves very isolated. 
And maybe that's even you this morning. And you're feeling, uh, you felt a tremendous amount of loneliness and isolation the past week or so, being cut off, you can't go to work, and, and you live by yourself. And maybe, maybe loving mercy for you means um, you're going to reach out for help. And if you're in a situation where you're surrounded by family and friends, don't lose sight of maybe a friend, a co-worker, someone from our church family who finds himself in a, a time of extreme isolation. Maybe loving mercy is, is thinking of that person, reaching out to that person who's all by themselves at this time. Maybe you know someone who's really wrestling with anxiety. Maybe you want to call them on the phone, uh, connect with them through Skype or Zoom, and just spending extra time. They'd say, hey, brother, sister, let's Zoom every day for just five, ten minutes for the next week and pray for each other. This is a special window with this coronavirus. There's perhaps a special opportunity for us as followers of Christ to speak about Jesus in times where we can't, where everything is going fine, and people are busy with the normal routines. Think of this as a special license to talk to people about God. Perhaps the moment that a friend or co-worker talks about their anxiety is his exact moment to say, hey, can I pray for you about that? And maybe they're more receptive to being prayed for. Hey, can I share a Bible verse? Maybe you, you want to have a Bible verse that you've got in your back pocket ready to share with a friend in need. People are perhaps wondering about how they're going to pay the bills. I know many people this week got sent home from the factory for two or three weeks. And maybe you want to just be mindful that if, you've, if you're still working, that your job's been interrupted, that you want to say a special prayer about a brother or sister who's going to be, have less income for the next two or three weeks at least. Be praying for them. A call, contact them. Just to be thinking of special ways you could show mercy toward them in this, this situation. I have a sister-in-law who, within their small group, they've decided that they all like puzzles or they all have time to do puzzles, and they're taking turns driving to each other's homes and leaving on their doorstep a, a puzzle and a plate of cookies as a life group, as a way of extending mercy toward each other in this time. Think about one person or a family or friends that you can show mercy toward, especially in this time of, of the corona time. A second person I want you to think about is someone who perhaps you're in conflict with. Uh, maybe there's a rift. Maybe there's a broken relationship, a disagreement. And perhaps in this time of coronavirus is a special window for you to reach out to that person. Just remembering that God made the hard, painful choice to send his son to die for us. He made the hard, painful choice to love mercy with you and I. And that we as followers of Jesus are called upon to make the hard, painful choice to love mercy toward those who have hurt us. God calls us to make that same hard, painful choice to, to show extreme mercy and love and forgiveness 
and extending love toward those who have hurt us. And perhaps there's a special window here to reach out to that person. So right now, in wrapping up, I just want you to, whether you're by yourself or you're you're with your family, you're with your friends, I'm just going to ask you just to bow your head and I want you to say, Lord, show me the person or the people that you want me to show mercy toward. Show a special extra measure of loving mercy toward in this season. So just go ahead, bow your heads, and I'm just going to give you about 30 seconds just to pray. Just say, Lord, show me who it is. Who are the people that you want me to show special loving mercy toward right now? So begin praying. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to do what is right, and to love mercy. So let's focus in on that this week as those who are going to find the right balance of justice and mercy. Have a good week. Remember that you are loved.